0: I think it's time to blow this thing. get everybody the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Hello and welcome to the Cinema in Seconds podcast. This is the podcast where we look at small moments in great movies. My name is
1: Ian. And I'm Daniel. And I'm the second Daniel. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: We found That's another right. one. We've got uh... a... <laughs> yeah, we have, have a recruiting. guest, Dan.
0: Is... Welcome back to the podcast.
2: Thanks. Glad to be on board. And
0: and, uh, this week uh, is actually one of your ideas. So we decided to invite you on board. We're doing TV show adaptation movies. Yeah. So, yeah, it came from TV. We're going to talk about it.
1: Yeah. Well, we're going
0: to talk about six of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You suggested, Dan. We'd done our episode. I can't remember. Was it early 80s that you were on with us? I know, I know you talked about the right stuff. It was on... It was, uh, cameos. Cameos. Right. Yeah. Okay. And you would sent me like a, a list of a couple other topics you'd want to do. I don't even know if you remember saying that one, but I had like TV adaptations as a potential topic and was very much predicated on me rewatching a certain film, which I'll get to shortly. So once I did, I messaged Dean. I'm like, all right, we can do TV adaptations now and I can ask Dan if he wants to be <laughs> back on the show. So... <laughs> Nice. in a way this has been a long time coming
2: oh yeah yeah
0: um yeah which but I... I think it's fitting because i think you've been watching some twin peaks lately i have i've been re-watching a whole bunch of x files lately oh so i didn't even like, know
1: that it was time oh yeah we'll talk about it That's perfect um <laughs> which is i think interesting uh it'll be interesting how we go about this because I know, at least for me, I'm not much of a TV guy. Most of the shows I watch are comedies, which is not evident in either of the films I've chosen, or they're cartoons that I watched when I was like eight. Um, So this isn't something that I have a ton of experience with. And in a way that's kind of reflected in my picks, because at least one of them, even though it's not really a standalone movie, is held to a really high regard as a film and as a cinematic accomplishment and the other, I think, functions pretty well as a standalone film that even if you'd never seen the TV show, you could watch and mostly enjoy, which I think Ian actually did. Um,
0: yeah, I did. But we'll,
1: we'll get to
2: that, That's I suppose, right.
1: when we get to it.
0: Um, uh, Dan, are you a big TV guy?
2: Oh, oh, yeah. I mainly watch some uh, sitcoms. I'm, I've been re-watching Malcolm in the Middle for, like, the third time this year, and... <laughs> It's, yeah, uh... some of those sitcoms are great.
0: Oh yeah. Malcolm's a good one.
1: I think that is a lot of like those are the not sitcoms per se, but comedy in general is usually what I gravitate to with TV. Um I don't know. I'm not sure what that really says about me. Maybe it's just a matter of like the investment of like long form television when it's a drama. There's not that there's ones I haven't done it with, but it's a lot to fit into a schedule. And it's like uh eh. When it's like, hey, you want to watch this for twenty minutes and laugh? I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's
2: why I like not. Mal- That's why I like Brian Cranston more as the Goofy Dad than a Math Kingpin. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. Um, well,
1: I guess we'll, having
2: set up that I
1: like comedy, let's talk about a really zany, relaxing, feel good movie called Twin Peaks: Fire Walk with Me. Which I'm gonna be careful about how I talk about because I know Ian, you've never seen an episode of Twin Peaks. Uh, No, I haven't. I want to. That's the thing is like I've been wanting to get to it. And Dan, I don't know if you've seen any Twin
2: Peaks. I've seen the show, but I've not seen the movie. So, okay. so I'm going to be spoiled.
1: I'm not going to say any spoilers because the show, of course, is uh, a murder mystery in part or an investigation, Mm -hmm. rather, um, where it's uh, Laura Palmer has been murdered, the homecoming queen who killed Laura Palmer and. Agent Cooper is sent to investigate in this quaint little town of Twin Peaks. And so I'm not going to spoil who killed her. And that'll limit what I can talk about about the movie, but that's okay because the moment I actually want to talk about is a pretty simple one. It's going to take some time to get to, though, because one of the things I really like about Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, and it really leans into what Twin Peaks The Return would end up doing, is the way that it even early on, like Twin Peaks, the show was freshly canceled at this point. And there was still this ferocious fan base that wanted to return and especially wanted some closure because the series ended on a pretty massive cliffhanger. Um, and so this movie is both a chance to potentially address and resolve that give some closure and more generally the way that a lot of uh, film adaptations of TV shows are, it's a chance to sort of spend time again in this, this cozy TV world that you come to love. Cause even though Twin Peaks is a very violent show in a lot of ways it's, you know, surrounded by a lot of darkness. There is a comfort, I think, inherent to television, especially shows that establish a basic formula and pattern where you you come week after week and you get that experience over and over again, even when the show, the subject matter is maybe a little bit more uh, dark or violent or unpleasant. Uh, and certainly the way that the town of Twin Peaks is designed, there's a lot of wholesomeness in uh, and sort of quaint comedy and and quirky characters and fine coffee and cherry pies and twin peaks and the movie pretty actively uh (laughs) thumbs its nose at giving you what you think you want if that's what you're in for first off the 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 show ended on a cliffhanger and it's like oh is the movie gonna resolve that no 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 movie's a prequel (laughs) movies (laughs) about the last week of laura palmer's life before she is killed and her murder kicks off the tv series There's some references to the cliffhanger of the series, but it's not really the focus. Um, And as you start the film and the first image we see after the credits is a TV, a television set being smashed with a hammer, some subtle imagery to tell you, hey, don't bring (laughs) your expectations of the show into what this movie is. And sure enough, the film really takes a lot of time before giving you what you think you want or even what a prequel about Laura Palmer, you think that would be. The first act of this movie is set in another town called Deer Meadow and follows another murdered girl who we did hear about in the old show that happened before Laura's. And we realize that the killer is repeating a pattern. Um, but we spend the first act of the movie there with these other FBI agents that aren't Agent Cooper. Uh, and the town is very much deliberately designed as like an anti-Twin Peaks. So Twin Peaks, the show, it's got this nice diner with these you know, very cute and friendly waitresses. And the, the diner in this is like a dump and the waitress is like older and smoking a cigarette and she doesn't really wanna be dealing with these guys. One of my favorite lines in the film is she's like, would you like to hear about our specials? We don't have any specials. So it's very much like sort of not giving you what you want. Then we get to the FBI section of the film, which is very brief and it's like, oh, it's Agent Cooper. It's Gordon Cole played by David Lynch himself and Miguel Ferreira. These characters I like in a scene that I really like, but is really frustrating because so much has been cut from the film that it's barely coherent and doesn't make sense. We have that. And then after like 40 minutes or so, we finally arrive in Twin Peaks. And what I want to talk about is the arrival into Twin Peaks, because I think it's so brilliant the way it's constructed, where just the the moment in and of itself is we cut to the road that leads into twin peaks and the sign of welcome to twin peaks and it's exactly the same as the way it's framed in the intro credits to the show of every episode and it's got that amazing theme music that is so indelibly linked to twin peaks's identity this this it's such romantic and sad but also comforting music and something that every week when you start the show it's like a un- warm embrace after 40 or so minutes of deliberately being almost antagonized for what you think you want from a twin peaks movie it finally gives it to you but the context specifically of it is much darker and more foreboding one because this is a prequel we know that laura is going to die and if we've watched the show we also know how but which i won't spoil but we know that there's a crowd there's a shroud of doom that is shrouding this whole film uh but also Lynch really leans on that in the way he cuts to this moment where we have um, uh, Agent Cooper, Kyle McLaughlin talking with uh, uh, one of his FBI partners, played by Miguel Ferreira, who's my favorite character in the show, incidentally. I love Albert so much. But they're talking and about the, the girl that's been killed already and they don't know who it is. They don't really have – they have a couple of evidence uh, things to draw on, but no real leads – and they talk about um, when is the killer going to strike again? And then we cut to that Twin Peaks sign one year later and the music kicks in. And then the next shot after that is Laura Palmer walking down her hallway in high school. And I love the way the film is so deliberate about withholding what you think you want of even this early, the nostalgic release of returning to Twin Peaks and seeing these characters and the humor and the the familiar faces and holding back on it so much. And then when it finally gives it to you, it's with this really specific emphasis of, of darkness and murder that haunts it and is appropriate for this film. Because part of why I like it is that while I enjoy the quirky sides of Twin Peaks well enough, I'm really here for lynching and nightmare fuel and, and uh awful sort of dramatic storytelling. Like that's what I'm really more interested in. And this film in part because of how much was cut, really emphasizes that there's some humor here and there, but there's not a lot of, you know, quirky, nice townsfolk. It's mostly a very dark, very sad peek into this young teenager's, the last week of her life. And uh, in that way, ends up elevating the whole of Twin Peaks into more of a high tragedy than just a a mystery and investigation. Um, But that cut to that sign and the mixed emotions that draws out of you, oh, I love it. So that's my moment.
0: Nice. It's a, uh, I like the way you're talking about how our relationship with the TV show can really affect watching the movie based on that TV show. And because when you've got that kind of ominous, when will the killer strike again? And then it cuts to, to this Laura Palmer in movie language, we can still get that. We get, Oh, this is probably going to be the next victim, but there's something about knowing that she's the next victim and knowing and having that personal connection that really amps something like that up. And that's, that's like an advantage that a movie based on a TV show that people do watch week over week has over, over other movies. It just has that extra kick, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I like that.
1: Yeah. We have a lot of investment in, her as a character, and it's also interesting because we never really see her in the show. I was but
0: just going to ask that: is she, or like, is she going flashbacks, or how much is she in
1: the show? <laughs> so there's a couple or recordings of her. It? No, I can. There's a couple of recordings okay. of her, including a videotape that is really crucial to the pilot. That's her and her friend, and who's holding the camera is kind of the mystery of the first episode uh, or the first act of the first episode um and she lynch was just taken by uh cheryl lee i believe is the actress's name he just loved her so he ended up writing a part for her as like laura's cousin who looked very similar except she had dark hair instead of blonde so we'd seen that actor before but we don't see laura in her sort of candid self even in flashbacks we hear about her life and we also hear a lot of details about how the the homecoming queen and this bright perfect girl that everyone loved had a much darker side to her life that was kept secret and even though you hear about all that in the show boy oh boy is it a different experience to actually sit with that character living through the the stuff that she lives through and the self-destruction and and drug abuse and other forms of uh destruction and self-harm she kind of puts herself in and is inflicted upon her so again like it was just part of why like when the film came out it was not well liked Uh, And I think part of that is because it's one thing to have a mystery where you allude to these awful things that happen to a teenager. It's another to spend, you know, 90 minutes of a two hour film with that teenager dealing with that, those horrors. (laughs) So. So.
0: How do they do a prequel of her getting murdered without revealing the mystery of how she was murdered? When that was, that's the key of the TV show.
1: Well, the show does eventually resolve the the mystery. Oh, does it? Okay. Yeah, which was a whole thing because uh, Lynch and Mark Frost did not want to, um, but Bob Iger was the one who was like, "No, you need to solve this mystery," which is why season two kinda is really uneven because like it starts really good, then they had to reveal the the killer, and that section is great. The build up, the reveal, the fallout is excellent, and then almost immediately the show becomes rudderless and there's good stuff in there, but it's really disorganized. And then Lynch comes back and directs the final episode and you can feel his presence, even though not that much dramatically changes in terms of plot. It does feel like, oh, the show knows what it is again and it knows where it's going. And then the finale of season two is like one of the best things in all of Twin Peaks. Maybe my favorite single episode of the show is, um, yeah. But yeah, so they, they did have to reveal the mystery, which was bad for the show, but I do think it actually was beneficial in the long run because it meant we could have this movie. Um, and I think what it does is tremendous. So. And in awesome. a way, that actually makes it worse because the full details of Laura doesn't know what's happening to her and, and what's going to happen and who the the, the villain is. But we do, and that makes it so much worse as she starts to realize and that inevitability starts to set in. Oh, it's good. Hmm.
0: <laughs> That's so it took 40 minutes to get to the to the town you know and love.
1: Something like that. Does that does seem it, very
0: lynch. Like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it might not be that long. Uh but something like that. Like it is like there's a full act in in Deer Meadow. Uh, which ends up being important plot wise. Like there's a lot of stuff that does come back around stuff that, you know, you almost don't even notice because there's so much going on, but uh, yeah, it's, it's very antagonizing and in, in how it, uh, which is interesting too, because what the return, like the whole subtext of twin peaks, the return is you can never go home. You want to go back to this old quaint twin peaks that, you know, and love from the early nineties and it's never coming back.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha yeah it kind of makes sense with a show like twin peaks that has a reputation for being off kilter but if it, like for example if they made like the big bang theory movie <laughs> <laughs> and it took 40 minutes before you saw Leonard and sheldon and, and penny then you'd be like that would seem a little weird
1: <laughs> that's fair yeah yeah uh, and to be fair we do get in the prologue we still get david lynch as gordon cole uh name taken from sunset boulevard it's a fun little little bit of trivia who's like the head of the the fbi um and he's got bad hearing so he's got a, a hearing aid and he yells like all of his lines <laughs> cooper you got an assignment like it's great oh i love him he's so good in the, in the movie uh yeah i i quite like quite like fire walk with me i in a way i think fire walk with me is kind of my idealized form of early twin peaks i like the show a lot especially uh like that final episode for example is uh, extraordinary and there's certainly parts throughout that i love but then Firewalk with me is um kind of distills all the things i love most about the show and also i think genuinely elevates the show because laura is an interesting character in the context of just the tv show but she's kind of just the catalyst for a mystery and also for learning about this town and meeting these characters. It's the movie that really makes that person someone you fall in love with and makes it so much more tragic and, and harrowing what happens. And it elevates, I think, the whole of the series into the realm of high tragedy. And then the return elevates the whole thing into the realm of I don't even know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard it a lot. odd. Um, okay, I gotta ask.
1: What is with the title? What is what's the title? What is okay, going so on there? Firewalk with Me. It's really, it's probably more Fire Walk with Me. And it's something of a riddle or a line that's said by one of the characters that has kind of a supernatural sort of quality to it. Um, frankly, so much happens. I don't fully remember.
0: Okay. I just, um, it's just one of my weird things, like the box set thing that we were just talking about before recording. I do not like subtitles in movies. For some for some reason it makes them feel cheaper. I get what you lesser.
1: mean. Yeah. I get what like, you mean. I think if,
0: even if they just would have called it like Twin Peaks, just the as movie. a movie form instead of the TV show. But the show
1: is called there. Twin Peaks. You got to distinguish that this is a movie. And how do you do that without <laughs> calling it the Twin Peaks movie? I honestly like that better. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> no, I don't, actually. That's still pretty bad.
1: Um, also, would it be better if it was Twin Peaks, the movie, or the Twin Peaks movie?
0: Twin Peaks, the movie. Because there's, like, but Transformers. I can't, I can't like, explain why.
1: Because <laughs> there's Transformers, the movie, but there's also, like, the Garbage Pale Kids movie. <laughs> you know? So there is, yeah. like, a difference. Yeah. Um, Yeah, in the line, like when it's uttered, because it's in the show as well. It's like this, uh, I think they find it scrawled in either Laura Palmer's diary or somewhere else. We also see her say it in the film. But it's something that a character says to her in the context of like this vision slash dream slash supernatural Lynchian weirdness. Um, And the way it's said, like when people talk about the movie, they say Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. But it's really more fire walk with me.
2: Okay. But, but you can't say, say that as first a title. episode.
1: Yeah, it is. And you get to see Laura say it in the film, and it's terrifying in the context that she does it.
2: Um great scene. Great film.
0: Okay. Dan, are you a Twin Peaks guy?
2: Oh, I've seen the show I've seen the uh first and second season of the show. Um and I I think i i think i am it's been a few years so i was getting some uh flashbacks when dan was talking about about, about it. good or bad <laughs> um i think kind of good um i'm gonna have to revisit it then Just it's worth to, re-watching the show should i watch the show the movie and then the return yes or that's okay. the order
1: and also because i think they kind of get like the show's good, the movie's great, the return is transcendent. They each kind of get better than you know. Um when you get to season two of the original show and James leaves town, any scene with James, that's where you can go to the bathroom and go grab a beer, <laughs> whatever. You don't need to nothing matters when James leaves with him. It's fine. Because <laughs> they didn't know what
2: to do. <laughs> James the guy on the motorcycle James is the guy on the motorcycle okay
1: what's interesting where I think they wanted because there's kind of two like boyfriend characters for Laura in high school and one of them is James who's like the sensitive cool guy who rides a motorcycle and the other one is Bobby who's kind of a dirtbag but in the grand scheme of the show and the movie Bobby is so much more interesting and likable um I'll quickly say just before we leave this, because I, I I don't know if I'm going to talk about the show again on the podcast. Or I want to talk about this moment. There's a scene in the show at Laura's funeral where Bobby, who was dating her um, before uh, her death, has this sort of emotional outburst where he's talking about, you know, you're all sad for her now and you're mourning her, but you knew she needed help. And where were all of you when she needed that help? And A, just in general, the movie gives that cry for help aspect of her character so much more context. But B, the final scene between them, um, he is essentially like he's, you know, getting her drugs. And he kind of has this realization. He's very like jealous boyfriend type for a lot of it. But when he kind of realizes and he says out loud, you don't actually love me. You just are with me because I, I get you cocaine. And she admits to it in this really teary sort of crying moment. And he, in almost hearing that, like, it hurts him, but he also has this acknowledgement of, like, okay, this is what that is. And in spite of that, I still care about you, and I still want to help in the way I can, and even if the way I'm helping is giving you drugs to numb the pain in your life. I'll still do that, because you still mean a lot to me. It's really, really upsetting, and it's really tragic, and it really, like, enriches that whole relationship. And just re-watching the show, and then going into the movie immediately, and then getting to that moment, I was so taken and weirdly touched and it added such a tragic dynamic to their relationship because yeah even though they're not like in love and they're not the real couple um there is a real sense of attachment and uh, affection with them in spite of everything so yeah twin peaks man i'll Uh, have to
0: check this show out i've been meaning to for years it's just one i just never got to
1: well like to do that with your hatred for box sets, if you get the Blu-ray set, oh man, it's going to send you. Why is that? Because it's, it's, it's poorly designed. For one, it's huge. Like it's massive, but also it's one of those things where the discs are like piled on top of each other. Oh, and it's like, why? (laughs) Every time I open it, I'm like, it's like a puzzle. (laughs) I hate it. It's worth having all the show, but oh my God. (laughs)
0: And <laughs> so is the movie just thrown in there or does no, the movie, the movie
2: is uh okay, on good. criterion oh, my
0: goodness Whew. so that would have been a mess
1: yeah so the box set that i have and is the big box set is all of the show it's the the original series and the return and then the firewalk with me you can get as a criterion i, I did hear a rumor that criterion may be working on a massive release of everything as one set. I have no idea how substantial that is. I don't know if where I I don't remember where I heard that from at this point. Um, and frankly, I don't want it because I like that I can put Twin Peaks in the TV section and Firewalk yeah, with Me exactly. in the movie section.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So. And they have to make a Paper Moon for us first. So. This know, is true. This is true. I
1: mean, we got targets. We got Picture Show. We're on the way. Yeah. Makes there sense.
0: you go. <laughs> nice, Dan. All, right. All right. Well, I'll try to check it out. Sorry, I wasn't able to before. I wasn't able to watch three seasons in a movie of a TV show before this To be
1: fair, you wouldn't have to watch The Return. So it would just be two seasons in a movie. Okay, fair enough. Season one is only like seven or eight episodes. Season two is like 20. Yeah, it's short. Season two is like 20. But uh, the first season's, you know, short and sweet. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool.
2: All
0: right, well, Dan, let's throw it over to you for your first pick.
2: All right. I'm going to go with my first pick is based on this little uh, is a movie based on a based on and kind of a parrot. Oh, not kind of majorly a parody of a famously (laughs) stale uh, TV series, the Brady Bunch, but I'm not going to do the first Brady Bunch movie. I'm going to do its sequel, a very Brady sequel. Now, moment I am choosing is um kind of near the middle of the movie. The I'm gonna give some spoilers for it. The plot is basically this uh con artist comes in into the uh, house claiming to be Carol Brady, the mom's uh lost husband, who finally shows up. And um man is there to steal the uh horse that's on display in the house and and gives uh the youngest son some of his uh, nunchucks now his son goes to with the father to work and um he accidentally hits mr brady's uh um, boss on his head um and uh a moment comes when mr brady finds his boss and finds the uh nunchucks and his reaction to it is to uh, lecture to his son about the, uh the bet, how, how poorly thought out a gift is. And, uh he says, a gift is only a good thing when the giver has given thought to that gift. <laughs> when the gift, the giver gives, gives grief. Then that gift should give the givey regrets. Now, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's basically just, it, it's ridiculous. It's, it, It's kind of it's like a parody of his role. The, the show was basically um, one of those mother and father know best. He's always lecturing everyone, but his lecture. This is like a, huge parody of his lecture. Basically, just ties it back to the word. And I'm trying to count how many times it says given and gift in that. There's probably at least (laughs) ten of them in there.
0: Yeah, it's alliteration
2: overkill yeah that's a lot of his in the movie that's basically like a lot of what he says um now ian and dan have either of you watched any of the show the brady bunch do you have any heck no (laughs) (laughs) i watched i watched a few episodes of it like a year ago and i the humor does not hold up for me but I think it's more like a drama, <laughs> drama than anything. It's one of those shows you plan to teach a kid a lesson, like, uh, don't lie. Yeah. But, well, those were like, all the
0: rage back in those days. Like,
2: Yeah. I mean,
1: I that's mean, what even, The
0: Simpsons came from, right? The Simpsons was a rejection of that whole family-friendly, let's-teach-a-lesson ideal.
1: I mean, a ideal. even yeah. a lot of sitcoms from the sort of pre- simpsons era the the early 80s and and 70s and whatnot even the ones that were comedies were still very were highly moralistic yeah uh are all about sort of promoting good values and frankly even like for as much as it's funny now that the simpsons is was like so counterculture in its time and was seen as like such a degenerate sniding critique of or sort of scathing rejection of good morals it's a very sentimental show and i think it's a very sweet show Um, you know, maybe not when Homer's like physically abusing his son, uh, which they've said they're not going to do anymore because the times have changed, which, uh, I mean, I can't believe we lost this war, you know, I'm not one to blame the woke left on things, but they've finally gone too far. If Homer Simpson can't strangle his son, well, I don't even know. But, uh, but, but no, like there is like this streak of this idea that TV I mean, it's, it's something that's uh, haunted a lot of visual media, the idea that it needs to role model behavior, but TV in particular, I think because it was like beamed into people's homes. So accessible. Yeah. And it was such a, like a low, low effort, low intelligence medium where it was seen that way. I mean, you know, fr- phrases like the stupid box or boob tube exist for yeah. a reason, yeah um, which ironically, I think the shows like the Brady Bunch and their reputation as like shallow, condescending, lecturing material yeah. helps reinforce the belief that TV is for stupider entertainments because it's pretty substanceless.
2: Yeah, I mean the the movie. Yeah, I'm, I just started reading a book about the pretty bunch and i think even during its time the uh pretty bunch was kind of uh dismissed by like the uh critics and kind of called it called it kind of uh shallow and kind Mm -hmm. kind of like that but the movie was actually made by the same creator both of those movies so he was kind of uh making fun of his own work i gotta give Hmm. it credit for that
1: yeah I didn't know that that good for good for him to have that sense of humor about himself
2: yeah. Um, yeah i mean
0: and your moment's a good example of like how they can play on the tropes that they're that they were so known for and kind of
1: mm-hmm.
0: de- yeah. doesn't hold up in the 90s when they when they bring it back in the no. post simpsons world you
1: know. yeah no um yeah it's a good it's i wonder too if i i don't know anything about the creator of the brady bunch i don't even know his name but uh
0: it's brady
2: it's sure Schwartz.
0: tom brady Um,
2: he also he also created gilligan's island and this movie basically (laughs) basically um created a multiverse of his shows because spoilers turns out the uh former husband of the lady was actually the uh professor from uh Gilligan's Island amazing it's all he
1: knew all along you know it's like George Lucas (laughs) with New Hope he knew eventually where it was going um I wonder though from his perspective like I'm imagining he probably knew what he was making was I don't want to say bad but was kind of he probably would imagine was frustrated by having to be so moralistic and so preaching and lecturing so being able to Poke fun at himself was, I imagine, very liberating almost
2: as a creator, that's for sure. And all the, uh, yeah, ba- yeah, it was definitely like that. Um, that that's there's so many moments in that movie where where it's basically creating, uh, cre- kind of poking fun at all all of them. Like, uh, I, I don't know if I want to spoil anything with the with that movie. Um, I mean it's not
0: really Twin Peaks I'm sure, <laughs> I'm
2: sure it's fine yeah. the only reason and the reason the uh, dad snaps is because the uh, villain says the word butt in front of his kids and that that's what finally sends them over the edge so I mean nice.
1: well Ian's so, going to have to watch this movie so you don't want to spoil too much No. <laughs> the question is Ian will you also watch the first Brady
2: movie
0: uh, i don't know should i dan is it, uh... um
2: i would say you should they're they're not like in continuity at all like
0: i mean is it good <laughs> i'm perfectly fine watching the sequel oh it. I yeah that. they're
2: they're both i wouldn't
0: be able to own good. it without but
2: the movie uh they're they're pretty great they're both pretty great although the sequel's much funnier than the first movie
0: yeah i remember hearing that when it came out i never saw them but I remember like it had a reputation of being like a really good sequel better than the original
2: yeah hmm. i'd say it's the godfather 2 of uh movies based, <laughs> based <on laughs> stale tv sitcoms from you tell me the beverly seasons. hillbillies 2 is
1: not great <laughs> i don't even know if they yet. made it to see it but <laughs> is there a beverly hills
2: 2 or a hillbillies 2 I don't, I don't know who knows <laughs> <laughs> I have to prove this. I gotta back up my uh my claim. Gotta watch all the uh <laughs> you're
1: just an authority yeah. in like sixties TV revival films. <laughs> I do have to say, looking at the cast,
0: um I do find it interesting. So Gary Cole is playing uh the dad.
1: Oh nice, and yeah.
0: Tim Matheson, is he is he the guy you were talking about? The uh
1: Yeah,
2: he's the yeah. villain.
0: Yeah, so I don't know, for me, nobody, neither, neither of you are going to care, but both of those actors both played vice presidents on the West Wing. So I thought Ooh. that was pretty oh. cool.
1: I mean, Gary Cole was also Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. There you go. Which is one of the greatest shows ever. Speaking of me watching dumb comedies <laughs> with my time. Oh boy, do I love Harvey Birdman. <laughs> um, nice. Awesome. Well, uh, Ian, yeah. you mentioned one of your favorite TV shows. Should we segue into your other favorite TV show, Love no, let's Island? Let's do it.
2: <laughs> let's
1: get
0: into the X Files, um which when I was young, I was a huge fan of the X Files, like embarrassingly so. And um,
1: qualify and that,
0: please. Well, I just I obsessed over it a little too much. That's all.
1: I mean, we have like, a podcast. Too much. We, of course,
0: we obsess get over it. stuff. I get it, but. I can, I'm, I'm way more tempered now than I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the ex, but the thing is, is that this summer I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind watching a few more X-Files. So I just decided to, you know, throw in some X-Files here and there. And then my wife, who also loves the show, she decided to start watching with me. And so we've been going through a whole rewatch of the X-Files. Not chronologically, mind you. We're going alphabetical by episode, <laughs> <laughs> just because I wanted to mix things up a bit, have some new ones, throw in some old ones, and I'm like, that's a good way. That's a good algorithm.
1: If I remember correctly, <laughs> continuity is pretty fast and loose in that show anyway. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's mostly it's um, it's pretty standalone episodes, so it's fine. There is an interconnecting uh, mythology, though that does get confusing when you don't
1: watch it in order but that's fine i seem to i never finished the show but i seem to recall it got confusing just in general it seems like it's kind of on the cusp of like serial television really breaking through like it's not quite there
0: it really was like kind of the transition show i really think that it was because it it had little bits and pieces of the continuing storyline but not every week right people could tune in every week and watch a complete story um, but every once in a while they'd throw these other episodes in and I really do think that led to the the big boom of that later. Mm-hmm. Especially with shows like Lost and then it just went full bore with those that type of storytelling. And now that's pretty much all the T V is. So in a way um, we
1: have VX files to blame is what you're saying. That's right. T V becoming yeah. unwatchable because it's really more of a twelve hour film. <laughs> uh. a bit bitter down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, not anyway. really. it's an excuse to skip stuff but
0: anyway the x-files is great and <clears throat> so i'm going to talk about the x-files movie which came out in 1998 so it's interesting because it was like in the middle of the show's run so it wasn't like twin peaks that came out later or most that come out later the show was like in its prime and then they decided hey let's put out a movie as well and capitalize on that um and I really like the movie. The movie does focus on like the government conspiracy continuing storyline. So it does follow that track, um, which can make it tough if you are not an Exiles fan, but want to go see the movie. I personally think they struck a pretty good balance though, of bringing in new people. But then again, I am not the person with the right perspective to say that. Anyway, let's get to my moment. So my moment is actually the first scene with Mulder and Scully. Uh, they are, obviously they're FBI agents. They are searching a building for a bomb because a bomb threat has been called in. However, they're searching a different building because Mulder thinks that for some reason the bomb threat was called into the wrong building. And he thinks that it's probably one in the vicinity. And so, because that's what he does. He just kind of plays up crazy hunches. Um, and so there's a scene on them with them on the roof and they're kind of, and there's not any like particular thing I want to point out. I just kind of want to mention the banter between the two in this scene. Um, what we get is Scully kind of expressing her frustration with the case and with the way that Mulder is approaching it. And then Mulder is kind of coming back with his reasoning, but the whole time they're also quipping at each other. They're making little quips at each other. Um, and they're making jokes. And then finally Mulder's like, and she and she basically tells him like, I think you're bored because this isn't an X-File. This isn't something that you're used to. It's not a strange case that you like. Like you're just bored. And he's like, he's like yeah, maybe we'll call a, a bomb threat at the Astrodome because it's free beer night or whatever. And so they're making these clips back and forth. And then she's like, she has this little thing where she pretends the door's locked and gets him worried. But of course it's not. And she tricks him which is something that comes up a little bit later when he actually is locked into room with a bomb. Uh, anyway, the point is, is that I, w- I want to just talk about the banter itself because I, when we're talking about TV adaptations, one big advantage that it can have is how well we know the characters, but specifically also how well the actors themselves already know the characters going into this movie because they've been playing Mulder and Scully for five years at this point. They know who Fox Mulder and Dana Scully are intrinsically, and they can, and the ba- the banter, and the back and forth that they've got is such a natural rhythm and such natural chemistry that these that David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson have built up over the time, um, that I think is a real treat, especially when, especially if we're being introduced to new viewers who are seeing this movie for the first time. I mean, Mulder and Scully were already iconic television characters like when you think of like a tv pairing Mulder and scully are one of the first that's going to come to mind but if you're actually watching a movie with them you you immediately get how comfortable these two are with each other and just how natural their conversation flows and so i just wanted to point that out i think it's a big strength for tv adaptation movies
1: good pick um it's also a good example to go to your point about The movie threading that line of like being sort of appealing for fans but also onboarding new people where these this banter kind of goes both ways where you know if you know the characters and when uh scully's saying you're just mad this isn't one of your x-files it's not something that excites you you recognize and understand that if you don't know the show there's enough context in just how that's put forth and what the reputation of the show is that you can put together like oh it's not a sort of supernatural or otherworldly type of investigation and so it it's a good example of the writing being very carefully threading a needle where uh viewers from either background can pick up on what's happening and why it's important
0: right which is a big challenge with with these types of movies especially when it's like it's not like the the brady sequel where it's an adaptation of a movie that's already happened and it's kind of like you're getting new actors to cast in this is one where it's really a continuation of the show more like the more like twin peaks is yeah um yeah you really got to be careful of, well because like twin peaks balance. fire walk
1: with me is nonsensical if you haven't seen the show <laughs> but, like you can kind of follow the basic laura plot line but you got to right. get through deer meadow to get there and it's like what is happening but it's x
0: files x files the movie was like a blockbuster like a summer blockbuster that they're hoping to get big bank off of mm-hmm. and so yeah you really got to be they really had to be mindful of it did it do well uh i think it did decent i don't know didn't it it, it did a have sequel. a sequel that now that one came quite a few years after the tv show ended yeah um but yes it did have a second one
1: mm-hmm. and the show got a revival too i believe
0: it did yeah was About it any five good years ago
1: uh not
0: great, but again, the same reason made it watchable. Mulder and Scully, having the two actors back in those roles and seeing them do what they do so well, almost alone was like worth it, even mm-hmm. if the stories weren't quite up to par.
1: I will say it's it's not directly related, but I recently watched a movie called The Rapture with a young David Duchovny, uh, 1991. So it's like right around, I think, right before the show. Um, And you kind of forget, like, you know, he's a good looking dude, but like, he's always wearing suits. There's a scene in the movie where he's shirtless. And I was like, God damn it. It just makes me feel bad about myself. Like he's so cut. You don't realize that when he's all in his, in his, you know, Mulder suits and his spooky weirdness, when he takes his shirt off and it's like, Oh yeah, he's hot. Anyway, I felt, you know, I had to share that. Um, (laughs) I used to watch the show. I don't think I ever finished. Um, My dad owned all of the DVDs of the original series run. I didn't make it to Robert Patrick entering the show. Um, Yeah. Yeah,
0: that was was problematic. But he actually, Robert, I really, especially with the rewatch, I realizing I actually quite like him and his, like, he's a good, I mean, Robert Patrick's a pretty solid actor. Mm -hmm. And I like his character quite a bit too. He got, he definitely got short shrift because i mean he's trying to replace fox Mulder, which is a pretty tough feat um but going back on it now i'm like okay he's actually a pretty good character
1: nice maybe i'll rewatch the show honestly my poor the seasons from my dad he doesn't need them
0: <laughs> if you don't i mean it's nine seasons plus two more <laughs> that's the <laughs> so thing it just, it's much more of an investment
1: up. than like like twin peaks you're getting off light the difference yeah. is, though, the last David Lynch thing you watched, you hated.
0: That's true. I thought we were going to flow past that.
1: <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll flow past I it for now. But... Okay,
0: I didn't hate it. I, I think I was a little rough with my rating. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like... It didn't it didn't work on me. We'll just say that. We're talking it's about so... Eraserhead everywhere. Yeah,
1: ladies and everywhere. gentlemen, and uh, oh. those that lieth in between, the film my colleague is referring to is Eraserhead, one of the greatest debut features of any filmmaker ever.
0: I, I started liking it, and then it
1: just—that's <laughs> uh, weird to me because to me it's I had a, enough. It, to me, it's much more clear as it goes. The beginning is where it's, it's most cryptic and confusing.
0: Yeah, and I think I kind of like that part more. You didn't relate kinda... to
1: the anxiety of meeting your girlfriend's parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what yeah. it's about. We've all been I there. Guess. Metaphorically, anyway,
0: (laughs) then yeah, then it got kind of weird and gross. And
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh, you didn't like the baby, I kind of did like the baby
0: actually. What (laughs) at the start, anyway, I was like, oh, that's weird, so kind of cool.
1: Okay, we're gonna have to set aside a whole eraser head talk because now I'm really (laughs) baffled at why what you like and don't like that you don't (laughs) like it is not actually surprising to me. What you're responding to, though. Anyway. Um, yeah, we'll get into that later. How would you say the <laughs> show the stacks up, or, or the film rather stacks up in relation to the show?
0: Um, I think it flows in quite nicely, but I also think what the one thing I really like about the movie is that it still manages to make it, even though it's the X-Files we know and love, very familiar, it also tries to make it cinematic. Like it's it's mm. definitely not just taking an episode and putting it, on the big screen, it actually has more ambition than that, and it it has bigger scale than that, and I appreciate that quite a bit. I thought the movie was a big success, okay. anyway. Cool. Yeah. As as a lifelong X Files fan, I think the movie rules.
1: Is rewatching the show it's... awakening your nerddom?
0: Yeah, because because <laughs> that was hidden away for so long. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. <laughs> Just like the idea of like, it's coming out. No. <laughs>
2: uh, Dan, are you an X-Files watcher? I a, um, I watched like some of the first season with my dad, but we didn't get too far into it after it was taken off of Hulu. Mm. A bit. Mm. I I did finish the show Fringe, which was, uh, I think, inspired by the X-Files. I don't know how much it's uh like X-Files. I'll have to find where the X-Files is hidden. I can in at my dad's basement on DVD. That's where you can find it. <laughs> All nine seasons.
0: Well, I have them on Blu-ray, so
1: Oh. <laughs> fancy man. <laughs> um I wanted to ask one other uh X-Files question before we move on. Um go away. just for I know you've mentioned Ian in like letterbox reviews and stuff occasionally when you're on like babysitting duty or like taking, you know, your is it one niece or two nieces? I have well, I have a lot. Okay. I have eight nieces
0: and nephews at this point.
1: Whoa. Okay. Showing yeah. various uh, you know, younglings. We'll use Jedi terminology. I know you love those movies. Uh, you know, watching movies with them as they get older is there any interest on either side of eventually watching introducing them to the x-files
0: oh yeah that would be awesome i think that would work really well i do have one of my nephews just keeps he really wants to watch alien and predator Ooh, good taste he's still too young but he 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 really wants to watch those movies so he would probably be a good candidate
1: what's a good like in-betweener you can kind of give him before he's ready for alien and predator like um Maybe Jaws. He loves Godzilla
0: and the Godzilla movies.
1: That's a good pick. Yeah, uh, Jurassic Park, obviously. Um, Jurassic Park, yeah. I'm just trying to think of like space and how scary it is. I mean, 2001, of course, you know, but
2: <laughs> it is rated G. It's
1: true, yeah. Fun for the whole family. Um, cool. Uh, well, I'll segue into a as we talked about the titling pattern earlier of blankety blank, the movie with Cowboy Bebop, the movie, Um, which I wanted to do as a contrast to Twin Peaks, because I think you can broadly draw a line, especially with dramatic TV series where their films are either sort of uh, aspiring to a level of grandeur and greatness and elevating the material like a Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, where it's really expanding what the show is. And then there are the movies that are kind of just one last romp. Just a fun excuse to hang out with the characters again and have some fun. And that's what Cowboy Bebop the movie is. So to give a little bit of context for the show, it is an anime, but it's like, it's the one good one. Uh, that one Letterboxd review I've read of like, it's an anime for people who have had sex, I think is an accurate assessment of the show. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because Uh, I think anime can be like a very intimidating thing for non-anime watchers. I know it is for me. This show is not, it's only 26 episodes for one. And it's not like with spread across a bunch of different versions. There's one show with these episodes and one movie. And it's basically a sci-fi Western themed action adventure show about a group of bounty hunters. And it's a mostly episodic series where every episode is kind of centered around a different, uh, bounty that they, uh, take on for the for work um there is an overarching plot and it certainly has like a very conclusive ending but for the most part it's it's more just these episodes and it's the characters and the setting and the world uh, but the show ends really definitively it's mostly loose and free form and there's like this sort of s- small pieces of overarching plot and then all of a sudden you get to the last episodes and it very quickly is like oh we're ramping up to the end now and i don't think i'm ready. And you get to the end and it's like, yeah, that's it. There's nothing after this. Like, there's a couple characters and things that are left open-ended. But for all intents and purposes, the show is done. Uh, And to the point that, like, most episodes end with just the text uh, on screen of, like, see you, Space Cowboy. The last episode ends with that text instead replaced with, you're going to have to carry that weight with you. And it's like, oh, it's all over now. So the movie is basically set uh, a couple uh before like late enough into the show that all the characters are together and the ensemble is formed and the relationships are kind of at their peak. But before you get into that last episode ramp up. So it's really, you know, jumping in with them at the peak of their relationships and the peak of what Cowboy Bebop was at its most fun and most um just entertaining. And the moment I've chosen I think really highlights that affability, which The movie does technically have a plot that you can imagine being like a real big escalated version of the show where it involves terrorist groups and it's on Mars and there's like this sort of viral like they want to use this plague and unleash this you know uh, crisis and there's this villain who's very intimidating and has one of the most physically sort of taxing fights in all the series against the main character Spike and so those parts are there and certainly when it gets to the action it can be pretty hard-hitting. But a lot of the appeal of the movie is really just hanging out with these characters again one last time. And the moment I've chosen is very simply when Spike is in the sort of city and marketplace areas, and he's just walking around, following leads. He's talking to people, getting a little bit of information sometimes, but a lot of it is just dead ends that go nowhere. And it's a lot of these kind of just static, observational shots watching him walk through the city and walk through these urban environments. And it's just... Kind of this breath of fresh air, and the idea that this is really why we're here. Like, the plot is good, the action scenes are fantastic. Um, the music, as is always the case, is brilliant, but it's really just being able to spend a little bit more time with these people and in this world before it's all gone. Um, not the world literally is all gone, it doesn't like blow up at the end of the show, just to be clear. Uh, before our so time not like ended, like
0: end of whatever evangelical, no,
1: yeah, this is an interesting <laughs> counterpoint to end of Ava, where it's like. Where that thing is just, like, all intense plot, both wrapping up and also completely reopening what the series was. None of that. This is just fun times with your boys. And that sounds less ambitious and less thoughtful, and it probably is, but I I do like this more more than end of. um, Which I think Ian does, too. I Um, did, too. (laughs) But just these, uh, you know, this spending a little bit of extra time with this character, like, that's the real appeal. And specifically, too, like in these settings. Like I love the show's mix of it's aesthetic where it's very, it feels very urban and modern in a lot of places and very noir inspired, but it has these little just sci-fi flourishes that sometimes are more over, uh, over apparent than others, but it's more of a flavor than it is like an actively always like sci-fi with a capital S type world. Um, So that's my moment. Just walking around the city with Spike and being able to take in a couple more minutes with these characters. And to the point that, you know, what a feature runtime gives you. It's more time to develop a villain. It's more time for action scenes. It's more time for escalating the drama. It's also more time just to hang out. And I love these characters so much that just another, you know, hour and 40 minutes or however long the movie is before I have to say goodbye as a welcome, welcome thing.
0: It is It is kind of interesting seeing characters that you're so familiar with in a bit of a different context. In this case, a movie format instead of a t like a TV show format. Kind of same thing with Mulder and Scully like seeing them on top of this roof and the big widescreen um, lens and and just you know with that kind of vis- more cinematic aesthetic is kind of cool. And So I can kind of see we're coming with where you know he's just kind of wandering around but he's doing so in the context of a larger movie and you're like okay cool I guess I could just kind of see this character be him in kind of a bit of a different context than normal
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and I think the movie threads that line really carefully too because part of the appeal of the show is that the characters are not really like noble heroes like they're bounty hunters and they're in it for the money and the only reason they take the job as the film makes clear is they're dirt broke they're tired of eating like ramen for every meal and they're like well if we capture this terrorist we'll get paid and so yeah like it manages to be a bigger story but not in a way that portrays the the looseness that makes the show so endearing
0: i did get the sense even though i haven't seen the show but i did watch the movie for this um that it was like the scale was amped up a bit Mm -hmm. again i have no context for that but it felt like that even without the context like yeah. the villain seemed like a pretty good movie villain mm-hmm. and his plot seemed pretty high stakes. And so they're,
1: they're definitely higher stakes that. on like a plot level, emotional level. I think the finale of the show is much more loaded in terms of how it affects Spike. It yeah, makes sense. Um, and there's another, like there's a whole thing with the Faye Valentine character where she's most of her past is forgotten. There's episodes where they kind of flesh that out. Um, that are more emotionally charged whereas this one they don't have much emotional stake in it and that's kind of part of the point um but yeah like plot wise it's certainly the most intense and high risk uh material we've seen for like global ramifications uh all of mars will be affected by this after all so it's also set on halloween which is kind of cool
0: yeah that's right I, when the movie opened, it starts off in that like convenience store hold up. And I had no idea it was futuristic. Like it looked for the first scene, everything seemed pretty contemporary. And I was Except
1: like, for like, what's his name? Has a robot arm.
0: I didn't notice that, I guess.
1: Spike's buddy, the guy with the, the bald head and the crazy mutton chops. Was he there? Yeah. In that scene? Yeah. Oh, okay. I can't remember anyway, his name. I'm so and embarrassed. And spaceships
0: are flying around. I was like, "Oh, this is in the future. Interesting."
1: It's an interesting point. I wouldn't have even thought about that, obviously, because I, you know, I know the you the world. Already. Yeah. Oh, I gotta I gotta look up his name. I'm so embarrassed. Uh, Jet Black. How can you forget a name like Jet Black?
0: <laughs> and the the other woman that was introduced. Mm-hmm. Um... She's
1: new. She's just in the movie.
0: Only in the movie, so she wasn't, like, in the TV show later, and this is, like, the introduction of her? No? Okay.
1: Nope. She's, uh, it's really the core ensemble of uh, Spike, Faye, Jet, Ed, and their dog, Ein, and I love Ein. Also, I will just say quickly with Ed, because, like, they introduced the ensemble slowly. Like, it's Spike and Jet, and then they meet Faye, and then they meet Ed, who's the kid. And I remember when they introduced see, that's the thing. First of all, did you watch the dub or did you watch the Japanese? uh... Japanese. Okay. When they first introduced Ed, I'm like, Oh, here we go. It's going to ruin the show. By the end. I'm like, I love Ed. (laughs) And I didn't think I would, but I was so, I was so into. And that's the brilliance. This is why I prefer episodic shows in general. You can go from like these really intense and dramatic action episodes to an episode where the rest of the crew of the ship end up accidentally tripping out on mushrooms (laughs) <laughs> and Ed and Ayn go on a little adventure through the desert. It's adorable.
0: See, <laughs> so you'd like the X-Files then. The X-Files likes to do that. Like switch things up.
1: Um, but this is my favorite anime series by a wide margin. I don't watch many, so Grain of Salt. Uh, it's like this Evangelion and like Dragon Ball Z. So, you know, not exactly a murderer's row of the greats. Although I guess those top two are considered probably the two primary Western anime series. Yeah. Um, mm. I love Bebop. I thought it was so, uh, it was also just a nice like watch with Rook and I, we watched through the series earlier this year and then the movie. And it was really a lot of fun sharing that together because neither of us had seen it.
0: Nice. Dan, are you familiar with.
2: I've seen commercials for cowboy Bebop, but that's about it. It's not, I don't know. I I don't really know anything about it. That's fair. Um,
1: It's worth. Why is it called Bebop? Why is it called Bebop? That's the name of their ship.
2: Okay. What does that have to do with cowboys?
1: Well, it's kind of like a Western because they're bounty hunters and they're hunting down criminals. It's also kind of a noir. And there's also an episode where Spike faces off against like a samurai-esque character. And at the end of that episode, instead of saying, See a space cowboy, it's See a space samurai. That's fun.
0: I like how we're really making Dan explain the titles of the movie.
1: Why is it called that, Dan? I didn't write it yeah the bebop i believe is the name of their ship um and it's it's a cool ship it's also cool because I, I love the contrast where it's like this massive science fictiony ship and then it's like four people on there who have no money uh i love that i love that contrast i mean in general it's, it's it's more playful than something like blade runner but there's a similar disconnect deliberate disconnect in this very futuristic sci-fi setting but like poverty and social problems are still very apparent and so the technology even though it's very advanced is also very janky and often doesn't work right um show and movie also have phenomenal music the best opening credit sequence maybe of any show ever oh hmm. that's good real jazzy music
0: oh yeah yeah no I didn't remember now
1: the the opening of the movie doesn't have the same credits as the show so okay anyway hmm but that's cowboy bebop it's the it's a wonderful film and it was a wonderful farewell to some characters that i really came to love by the end of that run so
0: nice and they haven't done anything since
1: well no there was a live action netflix tv adaptation
0: oh really which uh that went well
1: yeah it got horrible reviews it looked really bad and cheap uh, the cast looked pretty good. Like, John Chow played Spike, and I thought that was an interesting casting choice. I like him, but it looked really bad. And the creator of the anime was not impressed. And I don't know, live action adaptations of anime seem just like a waste of time and money. But yeah. yeah. At least until Ooh. my Pokemon script gets made into a live action feature. That's right. That'll break the mold. We're going to use photorealistic <laughs> CG versions of all the Pokemon. Perfect. It's going to be good. I actually don't even want to use CG. I'm going to paint a cat like yellow and I'll be Pikachu. (laughs) It's going to be a great time.
0: I would watch that. All right. Oh, Dan, let's uh, throw it over to you. All right. Next
2: pick. Uh, Next pick is going to be, uh, is basically the movie adaptation of the uh, popular franchise and, uh, and show the muppets so i'm going to pick my movie from the uh moment from the muppet movie this moment comes somewhat from uh during a a part when kermit is driving along in his car and he sees a uh a billboard for uh frog legs uh a frog legs restaurant owned by a man named doc hopper uh, doc hopper uh sees him and asks him if he wants to um sell basically if he wants to uh, work for his restaurant and be the spokesperson and my moment comes with uh kermit's little uh little response to it and uh his, his response to it was all i can see all i can uh all i can see are millions of frogs on tiny crutches <laughs> now i like it i like that moment because well when i first saw that when i was like five i was horrified because you know i you gotta hurt the little frogs to uh to get those uh the frog legs and uh and it's it makes me laugh now but then i realize it's <laughs> kind of it's also like a little little show is a little bit about uh kermit's personality he's he he doesn't want to uh screw other people over for uh, to get ahead he is always looking out for everybody i guess that's As a very
1: the the purity of kermit yeah it's
0: yeah that, that that's <laughs> what it really struck to me with that line it's like there's there's something like wholesome about it the fact yeah. that kermit thinks that nope the frogs weren't boiled and cooked they were just (laughs) they just lost their legs but they're still good they're still hopping around (laughs) there's there's kind of this weird morbid and yet wholesome quality to that line
2: (laughs) i mean yeah the movie's kind of cartoonish and like those parts um like but what was i saying yeah just uh it kind of I guess that line also kind of prophesized a few years later, the Muppet uh, Christmas Carol, his uh, little nephew was tiny (laughs) Tim. Tiny tiny little crutch. You're right. Uh, It was all planned. Just like
1: George Lucas and star Wars right from the start. Um, You know, it's funny too with uh, I think this, this line speaks to this question of like, you know, how old are you when it's too old when you're too old to watch the Muppets? You know what I mean? This idea that like it's very much a a property that's like for kids yeah. in some senses, but unlike say like a Sesame Street or at a more degenerative level a Barney, where you, there hits a point where it's like this ain't it anymore. Like you, it's for you and then you cross the line where it's no longer for you. The Muppet movie, the Muppets in general are, yeah, it's like kind of, it's puppets and it's for kids in a lot of ways, but it's genuinely really witty and funny, yeah. and even if you're like almost thirty, which is now where I'm at, this line is still funny, and this whole movie
2: is still funny. Is. I love the Muppet movie. Me too. I love. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: a very charming movie.
2: When you're old, yeah, and the movies like still as a little life lesson says, "Hey, don't uh don't exploit people for their uh for their art." Yeah.
1: Which is yeah. also like, as far as like kids' morals, it's a more sophisticated message than say, you know, two plus two is four. Yeah. Um, Which, admittedly, is not Barney. It's the Simpsons parody version of Barney. But <laughs> to me, they're indistinct. Oh, that's the that's the exact same show. Um, well, plus
0: I think to go on your message point there, Dan, I think it's. It means more knowing that that's coming from Jim Henson because he's yeah. somebody who actually stood up for those kind of ideals. Like he yeah. would, he refused to have, like Sesame Street characters, for example, be involved in any kind of advertising because he didn't want characters that kids loved selling, trying to sell things to kids. He was very against that idea and refused to let that happen until after his death. And then he didn't really, have yeah, and then choice. it was over. Yeah, yeah. but like he. He was very steadfast on those kind of those kind of things.
1: That's a good point. That it's not when you get to the moralizing and it's not a trite message because the movie needs a message. It's something the artist actually believes. Right. And you can tell the difference. Or you often you can feel that difference even when it's not even when you don't know that per se. You know? Yeah. Um Yeah, that's a good scene. It's it's one of the many great sort of dialogue bits that make them up in movies so enjoyable. Yeah,
0: you know, Kermit is yeah. Kermit's a great character.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I like when when it, this is a different scene but where Dog Hopper's again trying to convince him I think it's a little bit later when he's still trying to convince him to be Oh, actually I think it's earlier to be the spokesperson and and he's like, people like you, and then, and Fozzie Bear's like, yeah, he's right, Kermit. People really like you. Like you're just,
2: and there's just something like just nice about that. It's like, yeah, I almost picked that as my moment. Actually, it's <laughs> a good pick. Um, I mean,
1: Kermit, who who doesn't like Kermit? You know yeah. what? Don't tell me. I don't want to know him. That's no, what I don't say want to about. know. Him.
0: Any anybody who like doesn't like Kermit don't want to know you
1: and i'm saying yeah. that and i'm like the the resident scrooge on the podcast full of hatred in my heart and i'm saying this so yeah uh good pick I mean, good pick he's
0: yeah he soldiers on even though it ain't easy being green
1: no
2: yeah uh tries he also
0: re- go ahead People sorry keep trying to eat his
2: legs <laughs> yeah tries to reason with the bad guy at the end almost uh I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, he just gives a heartfelt speech that makes everybody in the room cry.
1: He also (laughs) rides a bike, which is like the most staggering special effect. Watching Kermit just ride a bike is like, how are they doing this? He must be (laughs) real. There's no other (laughs) explanation.
0: Well, even just like even mentioning the last two movies where I say seeing familiar characters in a different element like seeing a, yeah, the bicycle thing, but even just like seeing Kermit hanging out in an actual swamp like a frog mm-hmm. would do, but it's true. we've never seen that before. Like that's, that's pretty cool too. This is a, this is a great movie.
1: There's also oh, yeah. something too with, um in terms of, uh oh, I lost my train of thought. Where was it? It was, it was so important for Kermit and now it's gone. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It'll come back to me like, next week's podcast i'll just yell it out (laughs) while we're talking about something completely different
0: yeah oh oh, now i remember
1: it's it's back uh speaking of like the the accomplishment of the special effect of him riding a bike the other side of that is the uh the simplicity of whenever a muppet needs to go sort of flying and like and they just clearly have thrown a puppet on camera (laughs) and and, like you know one of the voice actors going like ah amazing (laughs) And I genuinely not only is that like really funny, I also think it's kind of perfect for and we talked about this before about another like kids movie, but slowly inviting kids to think about these things as being made and the way things are made. Um, yeah.
0: That's a good point.
1: And it's it's a, it's a small detail, but just uh, and it also in a way like maintains the magic where it's like, yeah, they are puppets, but they're also still alive at the same time. I don't know, it kind of dodges that question of like, aren't they just puppets? Well, yeah, but they're still also alive. It's, it's, it's <laughs> both can be true.
0: I mean like, you're hearing you're hearing them talk, right? Yeah. Like they're they're there. They're doing like
2: they're doing the beginning stuff. is is Kermit uh being the host of the uh premiere at the premiere of the Muppet movie. <laughs> <It's Wow>. True. <laughs> That's right.
1: It's true. Uh which um. feel that feels like it would have been pretty I feel like that had a fairly strong influence on even things like like other kids shows eventually like Spongebob or the like, which would at times have similar fourth. Like the beginning of the Spongebob movie is all the characters like the, the live action pirate characters going to see the Spongebob movie. Um, <laughs> and during a key emotional moment, it cuts to them in the theater all crying. So uh, I don't know. It feels like the Muppet movie would have been influential to other kinds of kids shows mm-hmm. to be a little bit more yeah forthcoming with inviting kids to think about the fact that these are fiction and having fun with that. It's true.
0: There's, there's like a few, few things out there that I think have very unique senses of humor. Like the princess bride, I think has a very unique sense of humor that nothing really matches. And uh, I would say that the Muppets are kind of on the same level. The Muppets have a very Muppet brand of humor that just works that hasn't really been replicated by anybody else. Like it's very, the humor of the Muppets is very much Muppet humor, and it doesn't belong to anybody else.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: That's how I feel, anyway. Anyway, good pick, Dan. Yeah, thank you. Well, right. oh, is it's it me? It's you, Ian. Okay, all right. Uh, I'll end off with. We're live, pal.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll end up with uh, Twenty One Jump Street. And this was a, this is more like the Brady Bunch thing where it was, you know, adapting a older show later on and kind of updating it. And I had not ever seen 21 Jump Street, the TV show. I don't really ever care to. Yeah. Have either of you seen it?
1: No. Oh no. No,
0: no, no not interested. It but seems they
1: very much to... like a show that's of its time and of no yeah, other and existence. And it can stay there.
0: Yeah. Um, Anyway, so they made an update of 21 Jump Street and it of course stars Channing Tatum and um Jonah Hill in the main lead roles and so they play these cops that go undercover at a high school uh which is hilarious cuz they don't look like high school kids which is which they do to be fair they do play that up as a joke quite often um but it's a uh, it's kind of doing the same thing that the Brady sequel I'm assuming is doing where it's you know, riffing on some of these ideas, even just the idea of taking old properties and recycling them for something like this. Like it's really playing off that idea. I don't know that my moment really speaks to that though. (laughs) Uh, So I just thought it was cool that of how much they use chemistry in the movie as a chemistry teacher. (laughs) So um, the moment I'm going to talk about is at the end of the movie, there's a big chase scene Where they're, it's grad night because it's a, you know, it's a high school. And so they got to set the climax at grad or I guess, what do they call it in the States? Prom. Prom. Prom.
1: And um, is it not prom in Saskatchewan? I don't,
0: we don't have a separate prom. It's just, we have graduation and they'll have a graduation thing for that, but we don't have a prom. You have a
1: prom? We had a prom.
0: Oh, you Ontarians want to be Americans so bad.
1: Hey, I didn't plan (laughs) it. I wasn't on the committee. I went. I went to two proms my high school year. No, we
0: don't have proms over here. Because
1: I, I I had a friend at another school, so I went to hers, and then I went to my own. Um, I'm
0: glad you did you get in a car chase in a limo?
1: No, I did no. Uh, hang out with my friend as he threw up in a parking lot, because he didn't have a hotel and waited for his parents to pick him up, though.
0: Okay. So, <laughs> you, you know, go.
1: and then his parents <laughs> pick him up, and they ask, like, has he been drinking? And I responded like a true friend should by saying, I don't know anything about that. I just know he's not feeling well. <laughs> oh man my all that president's men asks non-denial denial denial.
0: (laughs) uh so they're in this car chase in the limos and they're being yeah they're basically like running out of bullets and they're worried they're gonna you know not make it um and so channing tatum's character he He kind of, just to give some background, he's kind of seen this going back into high school as trying to see high school from a different light and actually try in his classes, which is kind of funny. Um, and so he decides, Hey, I've got a chemistry idea. And so he like gets some shotgun shells and mixes them with some batteries in a bottle of vodka or something and shakes them up. And he's, 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 he's like telling his uh, partner Jonah Hill and he's like, okay, what do you get if you mix lithium ion batteries with potassium nitrate? And what you get is a covalent bond, which can't be broken. And then he, basically makes a makeshift bomb and he throws it into the limo um, <clears throat> into the other limo or the, the car that's chasing their limo. So <laughs> I kind of like it because he's bringing in nerdy stuff like chemistry uh, when he's supposed to be like the jock. But the whole idea that they're playing with is that this is 21 Jump Street in a new age where things have kind of flipped. Um, and so John Hill finds that he's actually more popular going back to high school and Channing Tatum's, not and he kind of is seen as a joke to all the other kids Um, so he kind of plays into that role and starts to actually learn chemistry and then he decides to use it in this moment and there's a few funny parts to this the first is that A they don't make a covalent bond because those are metallic that make ionic compounds so A I'm going to get that off the bat the chemistry is wrong (laughs) but the use of it is still good because then he says he makes two it makes a covalent bond, which, which is something that we share electrons and they can't be broken. And then Jonah Hill's like, are you talking about us? And he's like, what? No, this, we're, we're not atoms. <laughs> and then he just throws the bomb away. <laughs> so I like it how he thinks he's smart enough to make this chemical bond, but he's still not smart enough to recognize a metaphor, even when he's made it himself, <laughs> which I think is funny. Um, it's. I also like this as a callback to like, the earlier earlier in the year where he does this like terrible chemistry rap in front of the class <laughs> based on one of the compounds that he's been given. Um, and so this is kind of a play on that. So it's like, oh yeah, we saw him learn chemistry and now he's using it. Um, and it's also a play on a running gag in the joke where they always try to make vehicles explode and then the vehicles never explode. And now this one's finally going to explode. Um, and there's also a funny line where he's like, "Where did you learn that?" Eight, and he says, "App chemistry." <laughs> <laughs> so again, he's smart enough to put the bomb together, but he doesn't even know what his course is actually called. <laughs> so anyway, it's kind of just a silly moment, but I like it. Nice, you bring chemistry into it, and I'm a fan. So
1: even when the chemistry is wrong, you still even yeah. when it's
0: wrong, I still appreciate the effort.
1: <laughs> When you watch Breaking Bad and Walt throws the little rock he makes, or he's like, This isn't meth, and it's like a little bomb. Do you go like that? Wouldn't do that.
0: Oh, I don't know. He's 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 uh that's beyond me. I just assume that Walter White knows more about chemistry than I do.
1: I mean that's I mean it's fair. <laughs> I get that. I
0: don't assume that Channing Tatum knows more about chemistry than I do.
1: Also a fair conclusion to come to. <laughs> um yeah I haven't seen this since theaters but I remember liking this movie and the sequel quite a bit I had a good time with both of them um in part because I think really crucially even though I have not seen the original show nor do I care to the basic idea of reinterpreting the high school comedy because the stereotypes of old don't really work anymore very refreshing um it feels like the the shadow of John Hughes looms so large and I don't know how accurate I mean, certainly those stereotypes are not accurate to my own high school experience. And I don't know really how accurate they ever were, given they're pretty like they play so thickly into like these types of characters. Oh, the um, Breakfast
0: Club specifically. It's like yeah. complete,
1: complete
0: stereotypes that kind of drive me nuts, honestly.
1: Yeah. Um. So it's nice that you have a movie that actually really completely embraces the fact that yeah this idea of like jocks and nerds is really outdated Mm -hmm. um which it'd be interesting even to see if the movie was made now what it would look like as opposed to then where uh in some ways it feels like that pendulum's gone even further maybe it hasn't I don't know I'm further away from I was in high school when the first one came out I'm (laughs) sure as hell not now (laughs) but so far away that it's it's uh it's terrifying to me um i had a revelation the other day of just like how far away i was from ninth grade and it was uh an unpleasant thought so uh all that to say i don't know what high school is like now but in some ways it feels like the as a general cultural thing the idea of like nerds is even more mainstreamified than ever so i don't know
0: Yeah, I think the dichotomy is not there. I think it's, um, yeah, it's hard to explain. There's, (laughs) it's like there's almost more variety in in the the personality types and what have you, and
1: yeah, that's well, and like in some ways too. I and I, I would always I always wondered this with like the '80s and other times before I was alive this idea of like you know the nerds and like the jocks like how accurate is that really because even like my own experience there's a difference between liking things that are considered nerdy and being like obnoxious or nerdy about them you know there's liking star wars and there's being a star wars fan you know there's like there's different those can mean different things and it's 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 in part like it's less about the sort of interest than it is the expressions of them.
0: So. Yeah, that's fair. Like I said, I'm embarrassed about <laughs> my love of the X Files when I was no when I was young.
1: Don't be embarrassed. Uh, don't kill the part of you that's cringe. Kill the part of hey, you that I'm, cringes. I'm
0: rewatching the X Files and yeah. loving it again.
1: Embrace your cringy self. That's right. High school Ian, he was all right. Probably. <laughs> I wasn't there, but I'm sure he was fine.
0: Yeah, I don't even remember anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I went to play. I'm like, I don't really remember high school that much.
2: That's fair. Well, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Dan, do you like this movie? I, I, I remember liking it. I did see it in the um, theater. I haven't seen it since. I forgot most of it. I though I do remember Ice Cube was uh was the boss and he would yell a lot.
1: Yeah. yeah. That is an accurate description of his role in that film and many films, really. Um, (laughs) He's good in it. He's good in the sequel too. I like the sequel quite a bit. It had one of my favorite laugh moments in a theater ever where uh, just because no one else seemed to get it, but me in the theater where it was like uh, the guy they're suspecting is the mastermind behind it. It's like, Oh, it's your tattoo. Oh, that's my old high school football team. The plain view, red herrings. And I just cackled. I thought it was so funny. Like the entire is theater good. was silent except me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just having the time of his life. So I have good. a fond memory of that.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So there you go. That was my moment. There's not nice. a whole lot to it, just some That's chemistry. Okay. Um, so we i think we have to apologize to our audience who tuned in obviously expecting us to talk about the dukes of hazard movie we didn't do that i've seen that we didn't movie. talk about the beverly hillbillies so so i have
1: seen the dukes of hazard there's yeah. a part where the guys are in a room with a bunch of hot babes and they're like do you want to play hacky sack and the boys are like hacky sack so that's a scene that happens in the Dukes of Hazzard. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so
0: that would have been your moment. That
1: would have been your <laughs> moment for the Dukes of Hazzard, you know? The, hacky, the famous hacky Sack scene that we all know and love. Um, Yeah, that's one of those movies that I, I, I'm guessing my dad just like rented back when like video stores existed. Or maybe I did because I just thought, oh, it's a comedy. I didn't know anything. I was like nine. Let's watch this. <laughs> Now it's just in my brain, <laughs> not much of it, but there's at least a little still,
2: you know, just lingering. Oh man, Yep. Yeah. Oh well. Surprise! Surprise! No one picked a Star Trek movie because that's like a major mm. franchise now. I I considered it.
1: We've talked about some truck films before. We have, yeah. At least could've we done talked Mission about Rafficable. Oh yeah, we yeah. could have. That one feels like a cheat, though.
0: Kind of. It's kind of taken on its own life. Well, even
1: I seem to recall a story where the creator of the show was invited to the set of the first movie as like a consultant. And Brian De Palma met with him and talked from him for a bit. And he's like, listen, you're welcome to stick around and to watch. But this is kind of a different thing altogether. And the guy was like, "Okay, thank you for your honesty. (laughs) I don't I don't remember the exact details of the story, but I seem to recall reading. There was some sort of meeting between De Palma and the shows, the original show's creator um, which is interesting because the movie does directly, arguably, tie into the show's continuity.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it does. You're right. Mm-hmm. Kind Part of what I like about that first movie a lot. Way, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, I don't I didn't know, do talk we have about
1: time any to... Batman the Animated Series related movies, and I did think about it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've talked. We've talked about that franchise disproportionately compared to like all other franchises.
1: I I mean (laughs) what other franchises do we need? Like that's
0: that's right. Yeah. It was good enough for
1: me when I was when I was five, when I was 10, when I was 15, when I'm 50, it'll always be there for me. Unless my Blu-rays get disbrought and then they won't be there for me. But that's we'll cross that bridge when we come to it.
0: (laughs) Um do we want to do listener feedback or do we need to Dan, are you okay to hang around for that for a bit? Just um, a couple minutes. I'm
2: probably I, I probably am gonna uh actually gotta go to bed pretty <laughs> okay. He's gotta well, work early. The
0: show, then. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, That's we good. can Ian you okay. and I can stay on and do listener feedback. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um
1: well on. we'll 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 let Dan say his goodbyes to the, the listeners. Dan, do you have anything you want to promote
2: or share while you're here? Um, hmm. You want to uh, share your letterbox or anything? Oh, um, yeah. Let me. I can't remember my username. I'll, <laughs> I gotta check my phone. It's okay. I
0: don't actually know mine either.
2: <laughs> I think it's under Daniel. It's under Daniel Folk. I think so. I seem to recall my notifications from yours is like D Folk. <clears throat> yeah, that, that might be it.
1: Yep. D-Folk, recent activity, you watched the Mosquito Coast?
2: Oh, yeah, I did. Okay.
1: <laughs> Making sure it's the right. Some other D-Folk's going to get all your followers, if not. So, Death Stalker 2, nice. Oh, yeah, it's a classic. <laughs> awesome.
2: Watch that schlock. Nice. <laughs> Sweet. All right, uh, well, well thanks, thanks for coming for... on the show again. Yeah,
1: thanks for joining
0: yeah. us. Thanks and for having the me. topic suggestion. Mm-hmm. It
2: was yeah. a good one. Guys, have a, good, have a good time. And listeners, God bless y'all. I'll see you guys later. Take care, uh, Dan. Thanks.
1: There. All right. Now Ian and I will okay. engage with listener feedback.
0: Right. We haven't really had any feedback from our October episodes. They're uh, just so spooky. So let's look at. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, so let's take a look at uh, horror comedies. We got some feedback on horror comedy moments. Uh, Gunner says he likes The Lost Boys. When Sam finds out Michael's a vampire, spoilers. <laughs> and I don't know; I haven't seen it.
1: <laughs> I have, and he calls I him a,
0: a vampire, <laughs> and he calls him a vampire in numerous ways. Before ending with, "You wait till Mom finds out, buddy." Hmm. Um. Yeah, I haven't. Every Every October, I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch The Lost Boys, and then I never do.
1: I, I saw it when I was. This year. <laughs> My dad showed it to me when I was like a kid. I was probably like maybe 10 or 11. I don't really remember it that well. I'd like to revisit it. It seems like a fairly well-regarded movie.
0: Yeah, it seems to be a lot of people have good things to say about it. Carl says, burning the midnight oil, Mr. Smith from American Psycho. Uh, It always makes him laugh. Christopher walking in Sleepy Hollow, enough says. Yeah. Says yep. my own opinion.
1: A Good pick, Owen. Um, <laughs> ah, and Cam, he's great.
0: And his filed teeth.
1: Mm-hmm. Cam
0: says, Sean of the Dead. When, this is a good moment. When Sean tells David to kill the queen, and he replies, What? Like it's the most horrific thing Sean could have said <laughs> amongst all the chaos. Yeah, that is a good moment. Very British.
1: Yeah. Yeah, who'd yeah. have thunk Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg would be very British in their films? <laughs> uh,
0: from our occult horror episode, Gunner has tuned in again. He's probably our most regular contributor at this point.
1: He's a good he man, says, that Gunner.
0: Yeah. He says, Prince of Darkness's ending is a perfect build to a chilling ending that ends just the right moment.
1: Interesting. That's one I've been meaning to revisit for a while.
0: And he says... Uh, everyone insulting Max for being a virgin in Hocus Pocus because it's funny and he wants to troll Dan.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty adult for that movie, I must say. I always remember that movie as being very like, like it's a Disney movie, but it has a little more edge than, certainly than the sequel, which was, oh man, just embarrassing on every level. <laughs> uh, Will
0: says, the tent attack in Blair Witch Project. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Specifically the children's voices preceding it and Heather running and screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, that's, that's definitely a moment that sticks out to me with that movie. Wait, mm-hmm. wait a bit.
1: It's also like, I wouldn't have thought of Blair Witch for a cult horror because it kind of leads you down a couple different paths about what the horror is, but it does fit. Absolutely. It fits. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Will uh, William also says for our sci-fi horror movements he also picks the fly. He says one of his favorite lines is the heartbreaking and disturbing I am an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. Yeah. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake.
1: Heartbreaking speech. Like this if you cry every time.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, thanks everybody for your Thank contributions. You very much. Yeah. And if you want to contribute, you can do so on Spotify. It's got a little, little... We put up little questions for you to answer. Uh, but you can also give us some feedback about the episode at Twitter uh, at cinema underscore seconds or email us at cinema and seconds at gmail.com and leave a review on iTunes. I don't think we've ever said that before, but you should do it. Oh, yeah. Is <laughs> iTunes still a thing? That's how I get all my podcasts. Is it not Apple Music now? i still use itunes
1: okay hmm. so i don't know. i guess
0: we don't know if anyone still uses it but leave <laughs> us a review if
1: itunes still exists let us know yeah <laughs> yeah and... um if ian's using a bootleg of itunes he got from the dark web <laughs> please tell him
0: yeah i guess i won't know
1: uh good all right awesome
0: so... well
1: uh small screen has been conquered that's right uh we'll be back in in a couple weeks for the big screen again right we have a little bit of a break ahead of us uh actually yeah a decently sized break um semester been taxing for you yeah it's been busy yeah
0: yeah Yeah, but i'm almost done coaching so i'm seeing the end
1: good for you it's hard to be an athlete i would know
0: (laughs) Okay, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I've been Ian.
1: And I'm Daniel.
0: And again, thanks to Dan for coming on. And we'll see everybody next time.